Hi, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. Um, it is December. It is getting closer to Christmas. Christmas is like, you know, I guess two weeks away from me right now. Um, but I'll survive. It'll be closer by the time everyone's listening to this. Um, I actually really, really love Christmas. M- mostly, at this point, mostly the presents. Because, like, the the solstice is, is when I like to do the meaningful, soft light is beautiful stuff um and and christmas i just like the the presents mostly (laughs) and um cinnamon rolls we're gonna have cinnamon rolls anyway um so i'm here today with uh, the last miracle baby story for a while i mean i might tell another miracle baby story someday but um this is like i've done this whole little set of miracle baby stories Uh, the bible really loves its miracle babies if you recall um, from the story in John about Lazarus, Lazarus, the story keeps trying to set up that uh, Jesus is better than a prophet. So in that story, Jesus doesn't just bring someone back from the dead. He brings them back from several days dead. So in this story, um, which is, is from Luke, it's not enough for Jesus to be like John the Baptist, born to an unusually old mother. It's got to be a bigger miracle than that. This is the Christmas story. So it's got to be the biggest miracle baby ever. And I don't mean, you know, like the baby's exceptionally large. Just like the miracle is exceptionally large. So um, I'm going to do kind of an, a, a different thing today. This story is from the Gospel of Luke. But um, people also tell the Christmas story from Matthew. They usually tell them together. So I'm sort of going to do that. But I'll let you know what's from Luke and what's from Matthew. Um, so uh, Luke. The, the Gospel of Luke started with John the Baptist's parents, which what we talked about um, last week. And in the midst of all that, the angel Gabriel, who had also visited Zechariah, if you remember, visits a young woman who was a virgin. Her name was Mary. Um, the angel said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And she was troubled because she didn't know what this could possibly mean. And then the angel remembered that when an angel addresses a human, they're supposed to start with, Don't be afraid. So he started over. Don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. You will get pregnant and have a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of God. And the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will be king over Israel forever. Um, so I was telling this story to my kids, and they're like, wait, David? Like like the David? Like from Goliath? Yes, that David. Because he, he got made king, and that's like a big, heckin' big deal. And his, his descendants were, like, the kings for a long time. And now um, Jesus is, like, supposed to also be a descendant of David. So, you know, he's going to be, he's, he's supposed to be set up to be the king. So, yeah, that David. Um, but anyway, back to the story. Mary says, how could I get pregnant since I have not been intimate with the man? Um, I'm hoping everyone listening to this knows where babies come from. So this is where the escalating comes in. In the Bible, we've seen babies with really old dads and really old moms, but we've never seen a baby whose mom has never even had sex with a man. So the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and therefore the Son of God will be born. And he tells her, consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived in her old age, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary says, I'm the Lord's slave. May it happen according to what you said. And then the angel left. Then Mary decided to visit Elizabeth. I think maybe she wanted to see for herself that Elizabeth was really pregnant. So she surprises Elizabeth in her house, in Elizabeth's house. 
And when Elizabeth heard her come in, the baby in her uterus jumped with joy. And suddenly Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit like a prophet. And um, because of the Holy Spirit, she knew everything that had happened to Mary without being told. And Elizabeth told Mary, you're the most blessed of women. And Mary's amazed because she saw that the angel told the truth. And Elizabeth really is going to have a baby because by this time, Elizabeth had a big pregnant, pregnant tummy. And uh, Mary believes, like, I think she already believed what the angel told her, but now she definitely believes it's true. Maybe you've experienced this sometimes where you, you sort of believe something and then you get more evidence and you're like, oh, I totally definitely believe this now. And she feels really hopeful because right now in Israel, Rome is in charge. So they have a king from their own people, Herod, but he basically just does what Rome tells him to do. And Rome was oppressing the Israelites. So this son that the angel told her um, was told her about was going to be king of Israel in the line of David, and she believed he would free them from Rome's grasp. And in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were always getting freed from some country or other, so like, they're due, again, to be freed from, from a different country. Well, all of that is in the book of Luke, which is very interested in Elizabeth and Mary. There are actually two versions of the Christmas story in the Bible. The Christmas story is in, you know, the story of Jesus being born. One of them's in Luke, which is what I've been telling, and one is in Matthew. And they have very different things happen. So Matthew is about Joseph's side of the story. I haven't told you who Joseph is yet. Joseph is the man Mary is supposed to get married to. They're engaged, but they haven't had any sex yet, as was the custom. And before they got married, he discovered that she was pregnant. And because they hadn't had sex, he knew he could not be the dad. And she said the Holy Spirit got her pregnant, but he didn't really believe that. He thought he cheated. He thought she cheated on him. So he was going to break up with her privately and quietly. But then an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and told him he should still marry Mary because the father of the baby was the Holy Spirit and she totally wasn't lying. So as soon as he woke up, they got married. Incidentally, Matthew um, also claims that Jesus comes from the line of King David, but in this book, they give an entire list of how Joseph is descended from King David. Although Joseph isn't technically supposed to even be related to Jesus. But um, he raised him, so he's like his father. So, you know, it, it, it works. He basically adopted him. So later in the book of Luke, there's a different list, which doesn't match the list in Matthew, that also claims to show that Jesus, that Joseph, and therefore Jesus, because everyone thought he was the son of Joseph, was descended from King David. Uh, that list actually goes all, all the way back to Adam, um, whom Luke calls the son of God, which is the same word that the angel uses for Jesus, the, the son of God, the same phrase. Okay, so now we're jumping back into Luke because Matthew is just like, well, Joseph married her and then the baby was born and then they named him Jesus, which is not particularly interesting. So the book of Luke has more stuff happen before the baby is born. It goes like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, that everyone in the empire should be registered in a census. So everyone had to go to their family's hometown. So Mary went with Joseph to his hometown in Bethlehem because Joseph was descended from David, who had lived in Bethlehem hundreds and hundreds of years before. While they were there, Mary went into labor. That is to say, it was time for the baby to be born. But they couldn't get a room in the inn because everyone was traveling back to Bethlehem. So when the baby was born, they wrapped him snugly in the softest fabrics they could find, and they put him in a manger, which is really just a feeding trough for animals. Um, 
Lots of people interpret this to mean that Jesus was born in a barn, but other people say actually it was just the bottom floor of the inn where the animals were staying and all the spare people were staying. And um, everyone who didn't have an actual bedroom was just laying around in the bottom floor of the inn. And um, the significance of that would just be that Jesus may have born, been born right into a community of excited distant relatives, which is kind of a different viewpoint than, oh, he was born into a barn and there was nobody around but animals. So not very far away, a bunch of shepherds were out in the fields at night, keeping watch over their flocks of sheep. Incidentally, this is why people are pretty sure that this story, whether they believe it's fact or they believe it's fiction, didn't take place on December 25th in the winter, because shepherds were usually out with their flocks in the springtime, aka not December. The shepherds were just minding their own business, watching the sheep under the starry sky. Picture it, if you were stuck out in a field awake at night, maybe you'd be stargazing, especially since there wouldn't be like a bunch of streetlights, like there are where, where I live right now, there would be like, you could just see so many stars. So maybe they're staring up at the stars and then all of the sudden, an angel of the Lord appears in front of them in like the super bright light. And um, you ever have someone turn on the light when it's been dim and you're like, ah, I'm blind because temporarily you can't see. Well, that's kind of what happened. Only it wasn't just a light. It was a big glowy person and they were terrified that the Bible says they were sore afraid. But the angel who remembered the proper way to greet humans said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people, for all the people. Today, a savior, that is to say, a person who would lead and save the people, was born in the city of David. This is the sign to look for. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger, or, you know, the animal food trough. And suddenly there was like a whole bunch of angels in there praising God and singing glory to God in heaven and peace on earth to the people God favors. And then they were done, so they went back to heaven. And the shepherds said to each other, we should immediately go to Bethlehem and see what's happened. So they hurried away and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying there just like the angel had said. And they told everyone around that the angel had told them to expect this. And therefore they believed the other things the angel said. And they told them that the angel said the baby was supposed to be the savior and everyone who heard it was amazed. And Mary treasured all these things in her hearts. And then the shepherds feared returned to the field, praising God, I'm assuming loudly, because of everything they'd seen and heard. Then, just like was done to John the Baptist, when Jesus was eight days old, they did the circumcision and they named him Jesus, just like the angel told them. Then, soon after, it was time to present the baby to the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice, because that's what you did um, when a baby was born. Meanwhile, in Jerusalem, there was an old man named Simeon. He'd been told a secret by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is going around telling all these people's secrets all the time these days. It was that, the secret was that Simeon wouldn't die before he saw the Savior that the Lord was going to send. And on the day when Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus to the temple, the Spirit of the Lord told Simeon to go to the temple. So he went and he saw the baby and he knew that's the person he had been promised to meet. So he held him in his arms and um, he held the baby and he said, now I can die in peace because I've seen the Lord's salvation. And Mary and Joseph were amazed at what was being said about their baby. 
Then Simeon blessed them, and he told Mary, This child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. He will be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Which is kind of a lot of expectations to put on an infant. Anyway, at that very moment, a woman named Anna, or Anna, I think Anna, who had been a widow for 84 years and stayed in the temple area constantly praying, at that very moment, she came up to Mary and Joseph to thank God and tell about Jesus to all the people who were looking for hope. Then, when Mary and Joseph had completed everything that the scriptures commanded for newborn babies, they went back home to Nazareth, and Jesus grew up and became strong and wise. That's how it goes in Luke, which is about community and hope, I feel. Matthew gets a little bit more dramatic, so we're going to jump back to Matthew now. In fact, that these books are so different, it kind of makes them, you know, feel unreliable as historical documents. So when Matthew hears what happens after Jesus was born, in the days of King Herod, who was to clarify the father of the Herod who locked up John the Baptist in last week's story, you know, that Herod was a corrupt leader. Well, this is his father, also a corrupt leader. Shocker that, yeah. So um, after Jesus was born, a group of wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, and they visited King Herod, saying, We saw a sign in the stars that a new king of the Jews had been born, and we came to worship him. When Herod heard that, he was disturbed, because there was no baby heir who had just been born in his house. I think he would know. He knew a lot of people didn't like him being the king, you know, because of the corrupt thing. And uh, he felt threatened, knowing that maybe somewhere a new king was supposed to have been born. So he assembled all the chief priests and scholars and asked them where the Messiah was supposed to be born. The Messiah was the savior people had apparently been expecting, you know, and that's what Simeon and Anna were waiting for. And that's what the angel told Mary and Joseph Jesus was going to grow up to be the Messiah, the savior. So the, um, the scholars all knew that the prophets had said to expect the leader to be born in Bethlehem. In this version of the story, Bethlehem was just where Mary and Joseph already lived. It's not where they were visiting for the census. They just lived there. So uh, after conferring with his scholars, Herod summoned the wise men back and asked them when the star had appeared in the sky. When the, the, the star that had told them when the baby king had been born. And Herod told them that they should look in Bethlehem. And then he said, when you find him, report back to me so I can worship him too. So they went on their way and they saw a star, the same star, I think. And they followed it until it stopped above a house. And then they went in the house and they saw a child who wasn't a tiny, tiny baby anymore. He was like a toddler. They saw him with his mother, Mary, and they worshiped him and they gave him presents like gold. But they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod because he was lying. So they went back to their own country by a different road. Now remember, Herod was a corrupt and evil leader, and he just cared about keeping in power. So he was not actually hoping to worship the Savior. After the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream again and said, Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, because Herod is going to look for the child to destroy him. So he got up in the middle of the night and gathered up his wife and the baby and escaped to Egypt that same night, and they stayed there until Herod died. Now Herod, when he realized he'd been outwitted by the wise men who did not come back to see him, he became incredibly angry. So he gave the orders to kill all the male children around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, who had been born since the time the wise men told him the star had appeared. Matthew tells us this is supposed to have fulfilled a prophecy. Matthew, the book of Matthew is like always talking about prophecies. So um, 
if this story disturbs you, you, you can take comfort in knowing there's no historical record that makes us think this part really happened. It's just supposed to be a really dramatic story of the baby Jesus and his family narrowly escaping death. Later, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream again and told him he could go back to Israel. And because Herod's son was the new king, uh, Joseph decided not to go back to Bethlehem. So instead, Mary and Joseph and their baby Jesus settled in a town called Nazareth. So these stories in Matthew and Luke are actually very different stories about the birth and earliest days of Jesus. But they both end with Jesus growing up in Nazareth, getting ready to become a leader who would teach people, do miracles, and cause a fair bit of chaos. Because it's Christmas time, you'll probably be seeing nativity sets and pictures of nativities. That is to say, the imagined picture people have in their minds of Jesus being born in a barn, which, as I mentioned, may not have even been a barn. You'll usually see wise men, shepherds, and angel, and a really sad shortage of old women who are excited about babies. This is because often the Gospels just get mushed together into one story instead of four distinct stories. So even though the wise men and the shepherds don't actually show up in the same story, or even at the same time relative to the stories they belong in, they're kind of in everyone's imagination together. So they usually show up in the nativity scene together. At least um, in Protestant communities, there are some Catholic communities that actually celebrate the wise men on a different day. And like um, in Puerto Rico, I know they have Three Kings Day when that's like that's like the day for giving presents. And that commemorates the day that the three that the three wise or I say it's called Three Kings Day. They weren't exactly kings and there might not have actually been three of them. But anyway, that's what it's called. And so they they do presents and stuff. And it's really cool. Um, so anyway, the nativity scene, as you usually see it, it's like the most famous cro crossover event. Like it's into the Spider-Verse, but older and more religious, and nobody actually thinks of it as a crossover story, even though it kind of is. So literally the Christmas story that most people, um, tell doesn't exist except in imaginations. It's, it's not what's actually in the Bible. So I told these stories together today because that's how they get told, which is pretty interesting. Uh, to be honest, the Christmas story doesn't do a whole lot for me now. Um, I mean, the idea of a god who wanted to make a human god out of himself is kind of interesting when you think about it. Um, but um, I don't know, it's just, it's just kind of an interesting story to me anymore. I would love to say that my family and the Christian people I grew up with took out of this story a respect for babies and a respect for unmarried mothers and people who worked in the fields, or that they got from the story the desire to fight back against oppressive rulers. There are Christians who get this kind of thing out of the story. There's Christians who are inspired by the story to be kind and brave. But mostly in my community, the story was just used to say, yay, God wanted to send a savior so the savior could die and save everyone from the wrath of God. And um, knowing that, it feels a little bit hollow to me to try to be amazed, to me personally, to try to be amazed by a story of a god who was spirit and wanted to try out being flesh. I mean, you remember in the story a few weeks ago from John when, when Jesus made such a big deal to Nicodemus about God being spirit and people needing to be born of the spirit? So when you take that into account, all this effort to make a baby son of God who's flesh, who is a body, who's, who's human... That could be a really nice contrast, a way of saying, hey, bodies are good, actually. Um, and I know some people who read it that way, and that, that, that inspires me. It just, um, that's not how the people I grew up with read it. Um, anyway, so that's the Christmas story. My family, not the one I grew up in, my family now, the four of us, me and my spouse and two kids, we celebrate a different holiday also. 
um, every Christmas, like I said, we, we get up, we open presents and stuff, but we like to celebrate the winter solstice every year. So, um, on the solstice, we like to wear glow sticks and we eat yummy food. And sometimes we have like a little party, little dance party. Um, the winter solstice, as you probably know, is the day the sun reaches the lowest point in the sky at noon. Um, it's the shortest day and the longest night in the, in the northern hemisphere, that is. It's the official astronomical first day of winter, but winter weather is typically already started up. We call that meteorological winter, and that starts earlier. The winter solstice is the darkest day of the year. There's the, the least sunlight. But we also know that after the moment of the solstice, the very lowest point of the sun relative to our part of the planet in the northern hemisphere, after that moment, the sun will get higher and the days will get longer. The weather still tends to get colder, but by the time winter officially starts, the end is already in sight. That's the interesting thing about living on a round planet making an orbit around a star. Let me tell you something about humans. Sometimes it gets dark around us and we feel like it's always going to be dark, or at least I do. And I think maybe that's why we celebrate every winter. Well, two reasons. One reason is so we can live in that moment, in the dark moment, and we light it up with decorated trees and candles and fires in the fireplace and glow sticks because they look the most beautiful in the dark. And we stop our normal lives and we decorate our houses with beautiful things and we celebrate the turning of the year together with people we love. And that's the other reason I think we like to celebrate. We remind ourselves that we know the dark moment won't last forever, and we look forward to the light coming back. Every year humans do this. Those kind of celebrations are ancient, although I guess the electric Christmas lights and the glow sticks are new. <laughs> we watch the sun, we watch the moon, and we observe the year as it passes. We don't just observe, we take part in it. We live in the turning of the year and the planet shapes our traditions. You can see it in traditional food, like eating pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving, you know, because the pumpkins are being harvested. Or in the way humans in America like to head to the lake or beaches like clockwork every May. You know, a year is so significant to us because we live in days and years and things repeat themselves, but it almost hurts my brain when I think that on Neptune or on other planets, our year doesn't mean anything because the year is just our Earth orbiting the sun. So if anyone could live on Neptune, they'd have a different year. Does that make a year meaningless, though? I think not. I think for humans, we're tied to the planet we came from and the rhythms of the year, the rhythms of the planet changing as it circles the sun. Those rhythms were part of our species before our species even existed. So I think it's part of us. It'll be the longest night of the year, Saturday night, and it's a good time to hold in balance living in the moment and looking toward the future. When I turn on my Christmas lights and snap a glow stick bracelet to life, I'll be thinking about my place on the planet, in the solar system, and in the long, long line of people who've lit a fire and huddled with their families and communities, telling stories, maybe not understanding the science of the seasons, but knowing, nevertheless, that the sun would be back for another season, that sleeping under the cold earth was new life, new plants that would be born in their time. And that's older than any story, and that's why earth is considered the first mother. That's all for now. Happy holidays, everyone. If you celebrate, I wish you joy and light, and if you travel, I hope you stay safe on the road. Or, you know, in the airplane or whatever. There's no new episode next week for winter break. Um, I'm going to take a break. I'll see you in the new year. We'll kick it off right with one of my top favorite stories of all time, the story of Gideon. To be clear, it doesn't really have anything to do with the new year. It's just one of my favorites. 
Um, so I'm really excited to finally tell that one because I've had it on the schedule and I keep bumping it back. Uh, anyway, our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, Star Child.